0: podcast, where today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Victor Estima. A quick reminder for those that enjoy this podcast, please take 30 seconds and leave a five star review on Apple or Spotify and subscribe to the YouTube channel. This helps the show get discovered organically and helps me continue to bring on amazing guests. Also, there are now timestamps in the show notes on Spotify and on YouTube. So you can skip around to the part that interests you most, although I always recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. Victor Estima is a fourth degree Harlson Gracie Jr. Black Belt, decorated jujitsu competitor and creator of the vicious footlock submission, the Estima Lock. Victor is now based out of Lisbon, Portugal under the Gracie Baja name and can be found online, social media and YouTube demonstrating high level techniques that you can implement in your own game. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, Victor Estima. Victor from uh the other side of the world, I wanna welcome you to the show. I I'm glad that we were able to to navigate this the trip to Spain and everything and actually get you on here. I've been really looking forward to having you. So thank you.
1: Uh thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate the invitation. Uh yes, when we were really busy, sometimes things get on the way and I'm glad that we made it made it work. Uh it was not too too long.
0: I always like to um you know, I have so much respect for, for people that have been involved in, not only involved in martial arts, but really dedicated their life to it on many different levels, right? You have an extensive competitive background. You've competed at the world-class level, but from my understanding and, and reading about you and listening to interviews that you've done, you really embody jujitsu too, and, and are a, a spokesperson for the sport, for the art form, for how much it can impact people's life. and. It, I always like to ask people in this situation, what does jiu jitsu mean to you?
1: Right. Like jiu jitsu for me is um, it's a lot more than just a martial art that I practice. Mm-hmm. Um, jiu jitsu for me is a, a, it can be cheesy and sound obvious, but it's a way of life. Um, I think that uh, since the day I made the decision that jiu jitsu is going to be the journey I will pursue and I will make this my life. Uh, I try to live every day uh, very aware of what it means to me, why I made a decision. And Jiu-Jitsu for me, it's it's about uh, to be the best I can be. You know, this is what I've learned through my time training before I even made a decision. It's, Jiu-Jitsu is about a commitment to, to help others on the process of my own development. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, for sure, it's uh, a platform uh, that I have to impact the world in a, in a positive manner. Right. I think this is really uh, completes my what really Jiu-Jitsu defines for me. You know?
0: And is that so? You you grew up in you grew up grow up in Brazil, You're exposed to Jiu-Jitsu at a very young age. How much of this is? A, a, an understanding of jujitsu that you develop as you become an adult, as you are exposed to more people in the the art form, and then how much of that do you think was baked into your childhood? Like how much of that were, was just already part of your life and your upbringing, or how did it develop as as you got older, as you were exposed to more? That's that's
1: an interesting one. I, I when I never really. I, got to know much about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in my childhood, because Jiu Jitsu was in its infancy. Uh, especially i come from Recife in Northeast of Brazil, which is an area, um, uh, quite far away from the main hub for Jiu Jitsu at that time, which was Rio de Janeiro. It would take me about two hours and 40 minutes, three hours flight to get to the, the hub of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in Brazil. Yeah. So I only began training Jiu Jitsu at age of 19 from I came, I already did some judo before. Um, and that was uh, how I got more interested in the grappling sort of art. Uh, and jiu-jitsu became a place, the jiu-jitsu school that I found was the place I kind of connected with and then started to get me to uh, get interested uh, to begin that journey. And that journey was first started by trying to, uh, Build some confidence. It was it started by trying to to get some sort of a uh, n- nurture, like not nurture, but like funnel that energy that I had as a person. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu started to fill that void you know, that I that I had, that willingness to try to express myself, and then Jiu-Jitsu started to become part of my routine. But at that stage, Jiu-Jitsu was just um, uh, a sport that I did after school. Right. I never really understood the depth of Jiu-Jitsu because I was just a young boy. I just felt the, th- the the thrill of being challenged and trying to go to tournaments and trying to come back with a medal. And that was my initial journey. And But only later, uh, when Jiu-Jitsu was um, growing with me as I matured. And I think there was a, a mutual development, jiu-jitsu, changing who I am, making this like a building who I am, helping, giving me the tools to to enter life. Because yeah. if you can think of jiu-jitsu as a, a microcosm of uh, many different learning experiences, that if you can look at the depth of learning jiu-jitsu, you can replicate in anything in your life. But I didn't know that would be so replicable because I was just beginning that journey. I was developing on you know, that. My first experience of, of, uh, maybe excellence, Right. So can talk about looking for excellence in a particular thing. I never felt like I in anything in my life until jiu-jitsu started to show that I give me the interest to, to pursue for, so, so that's how I felt, um, you know, later
0: in, in those earlier moments of your life. So when you said you got into jiu-jitsu around 19, right? So that's 15, 15, 15, 15. So you're a teenager. You're starting to (laughs) go through those evolutions that we all go through, right? At young adulthood. And the world is a a pretty crazy place. You had talked about jiu-jitsu filling this, um, kind of like this fulfillment of confidence and it, it helped develop that area of who you were. Did you feel like that was lacking before you found jujitsu and then finding jujitsu is really like this this thing that came into your life and brought that all together or what i guess my bigger question here is who is victor prior to discovering jujitsu what was that Very the long. biggest shift that kind of happened to you through your mindset maybe the way that you view the world how you view other kids your age because i i just know And I got into it much, much later, you know, it wasn't until I was 25 and and I'm very much a, a novice in the whole journey as is, but even that moment was so pivotal for me. It was such a, a specific, when I look back into my life, it was a very specific moment in time where I was exposed to something that completely shifted everything that I thought. And it made me think a lot differently about the person that I thought I was before and how I thought of myself or my ego. And all of that was just shattered by this one experience of of training. And obviously, you know, now it's been five plus years and it's it's very much a part of my life. I love talking about it. So if you can maybe think back to those kind of your pre and post jujitsu version of yourself, what were those initial moments like those initial shifts that you felt
1: a hundred percent? I really relate to this question because even though I was a teenager, young teenager, uh, I I felt like I had an unfinished business with myself. I felt like I could not stick to things because if I to explain that I need to go back a little before that uh, I began judo when I was six years old. By the time I was seven to eight, my teacher passed on a, a motorbike accident back in Brazil. Then I lost my teacher, lost the heart because it kind of was traumatic, and and I I stayed away from the mats for a little while. Then I went to football, and I was a goalkeeper. I was playing to a good standard. I was playing like state state championships at at age of my, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine. But I could not keep going with that because I couldn't. I was young. My parents worked really hard, and and I couldn't not go to the places to practice. So football. Uh, die down and then eventually I give it a shot in judo again I was a bit older <laughs> and I was 11 and I could not keep going because something was always kind of unfinished and as that critical time from 11 to to 15 when you become more of your like a more developed teenager you're really looking to you enter your your critical t- times as a as a young adult uh I I lost in things like confidence, for example, I would struggle to speak up for myself. I would struggle to, uh, you know, even make, a give back a joke. Somebody made to me and I, I felt right. very passive. I, I felt like others take advantage of my passiveness. And I, and I felt like I was suffering bully a little bit and not necessarily physical bullying at that time. It was very mental bullying. It felt like I could not stand my ground in things and I had to really Think twice before I say things because I felt like people could twist it around me and and I was growing up in that kind of mentality and that connected with, with the physical element because. The reason why I could not speak up is because I was afraid of consequences. I was afraid of. What happened if I speak up and they don't like it and and then a lot of things were happening at my at that time with me and. When I started training jiu-jitsu, it, I never knew that would be helping me somehow. I never understood how it would help me, but it did change how I felt about myself. I was finally uh, nurturing everything that I had into, into that experience. I was feeling like I've been exposed to some level of uh, heavy training that allowed me to believe in myself that I can endure hardship. And... It was just after my first year training that I started to realize what I was actually training was something substantial because I was able to face stronger opponents and I couldn't handle my own. And if somebody was stronger, but never knew jujitsu, I already could do it and dominate the situation. And that was a, an incredible feeling to know that even for bigger people than me, I could protect myself and stand my ground physically, allowing me then to feel like I can stand myself, my ground verbally. And, and also it changed the way people view me at that time. They first, they made fun of me because I was just a kid playing guitar and nothing else, but that to become somebody who is training martial arts, whose physique is changing. Yeah. And I act more confident and I spoke more confident and that allowed me to feel better about myself and and completely directed me to a completely new path because that empowerment feeling uh, really, uh, that, it was clear that was a to giving to me. And then I, I, I felt the, the taste of positive influences of that and, and I dedicated more and more. And I just didn't practice at that time. I actually practiced and very quickly I competed. And that also gave me a little extra boost of confidence, knowing I could do it at a, at a competition level.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoy this podcast and the guests that I have on, you can support it by checking out my amazing sponsor, Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because I've always been a firm believer that health starts on the cellular level. From my competitive years as an athlete to my weekly output of jiu-jitsu, surfing, and strength training, cellular nutrition is a non-negotiable since I need every leg up I can manage. That's why I won't skip on ingredients or quality when I start my day with pure AG1. Plus, AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, and it honestly tastes good, while all costing less than $3 a day. Look, if you put in the work, you need to reward your body. So, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Abe. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash ABE to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So thinking, I'm just wondering here, like you had a, a, a history of judo prior to finding jujitsu and jujitsu is really this thing that provided the confidence for you. It answered a lot of those questions and it gave you that foot to stand on in verbal interactions and backed up by the physical i'm just curious was was judo not providing that or do you think it was maybe like the aspects of judo judo is it's a beautiful sport but there's definitely a discrepancy in size creates a very big advantage right if, if you have the size and power in judo against a smaller opponent you have to be so f- technically proficient to edge that out. Whereas in jujitsu, you could be outweighed by 50, 60 pounds. And you could really find a way to technically shut your opponent. Maybe you're not submitting your opponent. Maybe you're not striking them. But at a minimum, you could protect yourself. So whatever altercation is happening, whatever physically is going on, you could slow that down. You could stop it long enough to get help, ask for help, you know, whatever the situation is. So uh, I'm not convinced that judo is not a good self-defense tactic, but when I look at the two, it seems like jujitsu really provides the smaller guy, so to speak with the bigger arsenal to protect themselves. So was when you think about judo, your history of practicing judo as a kid, and then ending up really finding this drive with jujitsu, was there a a lack of recognition as judo being a sufficient form of self-defense
1: for you? it was i don't believe it was it was not just a lack it was something more than uh, judo it it didn't click for me in a way jiu-jitsu did because the way i felt about training mm-hmm. the way i felt like i could go all the way until the end it made it more logical for me to understand all the complexity of that what may come from an interaction you know i might take somebody down i'll be on the top on the bottom i can still stand on my ground from any position any angle and it only finishes when that somebody taps out or times up but this is a competitive scene but in a real scene he's only stopping when i dominate someone or get dominated into a submission right. it was much more clear i was free to express myself in many different ways not necessarily very static in the way you kind of uh, structured in, in judo judo was a little bit static for me um but anyway, so I'm not taking away the fact that judo can give you confidence. Judo can give you a right. lot of positive things. And is a, judo is a beautiful art. I was inspired by it. But of course, the dynamics of judo, which is a rule-based down only, very small amount of time to submissions. And it didn't give you a complete feel that you can actually see through the challenge right. as it goes. And you'd be like, more limited. But of course, I was just a young child, I'm sure. Right. It, 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 I never really uh, pursue judo to the to the high standard and i'm sure a high standard judo could defend themselves it could build right. those confidence and I believe you can achieve that and and i I really feel like what it did it for me is the way I felt when i trained it seemed much more uh, complete and also it, it gave me the feeling it doesn't matter if i'm just small and skinny I have a chance because I can use specific techniques it's not about grab and pull and, and throw somebody it's about the the small details and using smart uh, tactics to to overcome the bigger person and I felt that, that that was really got me to really got fell in love with jiu and also the freedom that I had on the implementation of the game
0: in terms of how to cultivate tactics or, or techniques, and then use them to your own advantage, length, structure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really special. Uh, I, you know, I, I could talk about <laughs> the benefits of jiu all day long, and how impactful it's been in my life. But it really, it's hard for me to pin sometimes what is so great, great about it in the moment, because my whole life has been spent as an athlete, from skiing competitively, strength training in the gym, all these things provide some form of like endorphin release, right? You get done with a, a ski competition, you feel top of the world. You strength train in the gym, you get done with a hard workout, you feel really great. But there's something really unique and I, I don't really know exactly what it is about the flow of jujitsu, the regulations of intensity, the the teachings it gives you about yourself. When do you lose your temper? When do you lose your cool? When do you flip out? When do you lose your breath? You know, whatever it is, it's showing you that every single every step of the way.
1: Time. Yeah, this is. Uh, I, I I like to spend time thinking about those things as well. You know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm a bit a little bit like you. I like to talk about it. I like to think about it. And the way I kind of processed the reason why jujitsu feels that way. Uh, number one. It connects um, important elements of um, of a human being, <laughs> right? It connects to our DNA in the ways that we used to hunt, uh, to eat, the way it used to, even if you see cubs, they, they wrestle, they play, they, they play wrestling, grappling, holding each other. It's a a different type of uh, re- endorphin release when you're actually trying to dominate something, trying to dominate you, yes. uh, there to, um, to human beings trying to dominate each other with tactics and st- triangles and holes, but also the fact that you are connected to other humans. Yeah. You know, that is also the human element to it. This is something, uh, real There, I think that's a lot of positivity for human contact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that is a, it's some, somewhere down the line, we're made to connect, to be close. Yeah. It gives us comfort, comfort gives us uh, safe, safety. There's a lot of elements that play with the moment that you are close to someone and builds respect, builds a lot of different things. And then because jujitsu as well, it, it, it has another comparison, everything that you learn in Jiu Jitsu, right? Because it's all about implementation of your knowledge that's somehow very fulfilling. Let's suppose uh, striking arts, boxing, kickboxing. You can train to spar a lot if you want to, but there will be consequences. You mm-hmm. punch each other in the head. You're going to create brain damage to yourself and <laughs> others if you train <laughs> sparring full on every day. Yep. So you tend to replicate with pad work, bag work, drills, and also sparring light like sparring. And it's somehow the feeling of trying to express the full potential of the art, but you cannot do it on a regular basis because there are damaging consequences. Then you have the element of uh, the fulfilling, the fulfillment of implementing everything that you practice and learn. In Jiu Jitsu, everything that you learn and you practice can be implemented or you can try to implement against another human being into a high standard to a high level of intensity without the damaging effect that the submission may cause because you only have to tap out before you hurts right so it's a it's a mental submission you can hold on if you want to it you'll be damaged right <laughs> but if you're smart you tap out before and after you can still experience the match to the fullest so Every day that you go to training, you go there, you practice your techniques, and you can try to pull it on the, the techniques you've learned at a high standard with exchange, and it feels real. It feels yeah. like everything that you learn, you can implement and against resistance. So the ability that you have to fulfill the art to the highest level every single day without damaging each other, it feels incredible. He connects to the actual movements and the endorphin release that you have, plus the fulfillment of the knowledge you're trying to implement, where others are limited because of that aspect. And... I've definitely
0: I've noticed that in Jujitsu invites a, a wide array of people, right? In terms, you go into a, an academy and you're going to find young high school aged uh, men and women who are aggressive, who are explosive, who have resilience that could train 15 days a week. You're also going to find 58 year olds. You're going to find, you know, we have a, one of our most recent black belts is in the seventies. I mean, you're going to find the whole spectrum of people that are capable of, of course, training at slightly different variations of intensity, right? A 70 year old is not going to train the same as an 18 year old, but the fact that they can both be there at the same time is really special. Whereas, and this is not to dog on judo. I I think judo is fantastic. And I also think it's really important for aspects of jujitsu in that we start standing. So understanding elements of judo can be very beneficial, but if you are truly training judo, the throws, the slams, and your body repeatedly hitting the floor, if you're to your exact point, going to train at that intensity, where it's like almost real, you can't be, in maybe you can, maybe there's some people in their sixties and seventies that could do that, but it's a serious toll on the body. You can't spar at a hundred percent all the time, because if you get punched in the head all the time at a hundred percent, what's the lifespan on that? It's very yeah. short. And I, I struggle with that because I love, uh, Muay Thai. I, I've, I really do enjoy it. I love the, the movement and the flow of standing up and the techniques and learning, but when the sparring's harder or it's elevated. I want to yeah, I need my brain the rest of my life. I know that. I'm not going to be a professional fighter, right? I'm I'm a hobbyist and an enthusiast. I'm not going to try to get into the UFC. So the risk reward is really bad for me. If I get punched in the head 10 times really bad in the next 5 years, that's horrible for me, right? <laughs> if it affected my cognition or my ability to hold a conversation or to think or to do stuff like this, Now it's greatly affecting my life. Whereas I could roll jujitsu every single day, take care of my body, make sure that I'm, you know, take care of my neck and my back and doing the right things proactively. But I'll be able to maintain that for, I I mean, I don't know how long, 20 years, 30 years, like maybe the rest of my life. Yeah. And that's special. That is a really, to see longevity in what you're doing is a really motivating part of doing it, I think.
1: Now you you're right. I everything that you just said, I, it really connects with me, and and also it allows us to evolve in our ability to train because you're no longer training with a short-term view, but you're training with a right. long-term view, and the level of intensity in your training, how you pursue techniques, and how you defend technique changes, uh, if you think about your your longevity, and that's why yes. as a competitor, uh, it kind of is difficult to maintain. The high-level competition for so long without damaging your body, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, in your prime time, uh, and then I had to really learn how to change my level of training without looking for a competition, because now I have some micro injuries from the you know went there yeah. that I need to constantly look to. But I wouldn't have those if I wouldn't be trying to compete at the highest level. It would be much more right. caring with my body if I train for no competition. Uh, but it, it's still, after so long training to a, to a decent level, I, I still can train today. I can still be physical. I can still be uh, intense in my training. And I now I just look into how can I train for longer? So I will... Yeah adapt to my jiu-jitsu. I will not do some specific movements and roles and I will just play a different game. And jiu-jitsu gives you that flexibility. You can play different games, different strategies and still be part of the game without compromising your health and you're learning. It just makes you explore, explore more in jiu-jitsu. Find a way. That's I hope... one of the things that really gets me.
0: I really hope that, um, the newer people to jujitsu that are listening to this, really listen to that. Because if there's one thing that I could go back and and say to myself at the, it, when I got started, is accept that you're gonna do this for 20 years. Just know that now, today, you're gonna do this for a long time. Because what happens and, and what I see now, having been doing this for a while, you see that it's just like, uh, I don't know, gym memberships in January, right? Excitement is super high, people are highly motivated. They're excited to start something new and they get into something like jujitsu and they go so hard in the beginning and they don't anticipate the wear on the body and they don't really see that like, they're going to be doing this for a long time. There's a million lessons to glean from this art form and it burns people out and they get, they get injured or they get frustrated and they can't get past the frustration because. They can't, they don't understand that it's just part of the process, part of the learning process. Right. And I, am curious when in your, it sounds like certainly towards the tail end of competition, but was there a point in your journey from 15 to now where you really started to shift and see this as like, I'm going to, this is my life. This is not just something that I'm, I'm doing today. This is what I'm on the planet to do. And when you recognize that, did it shift your approach in training and off the mats? Like, what was that process like?
1: That's a, a good one, because for me, that divides in a few different parts. One of them, I, I knew that I wanted to practice jiu independent of money, independent of my position. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep practicing jiu And that is actually a question we ask ourselves in on a car, talking to my friends, going to a tournament. And the question and the top conversation was would you be doing this if you were if you'd be really rich and didn't need this for you, you didn't think about making any money with it or not uh would you still do jujitsu uh and try to do what you do in our compete if you would be doing a completely different course in university you know what would be the thing that you would do and then everybody just looked at each other and said I'll be doing this no matter what. Yeah. So it was very early stages that I recognized the benefits and how I felt about training and who it was my identity, be part of a jujitsu school and be part of, be with my teammates. Right. Uh, then of course, this was a commitment to train no matter what. Um, but then later I had to make, come to terms what I'm doing with my life. And that's only when I moved to the United Kingdom, I was 19 years old and I had an opportunity. Uh, to teach a class for the first time. And I felt like I was having fun the whole time. I never felt like a job. I felt I could do this for no money. And I do it for much longer than I had to do on that day. And I still got paid. In the end, to get paid for something I loved, it felt like a crime. It was really weird. <laughs> I'm doing something wrong. Should I really take this money? Did I really earn it? Because it didn't right. feel like. Maybe it was just a completely different mindset that we had that fun cannot be connected with job. Right. And then we have to overcome this. But anyway, it's a different conversation. But that is when I decided, okay, that is possible for me to pursue a living, doing something I'm passionate about. That feeling really hit me. Uh, and then that was the day I decided. I went to the UK to see, my, my, like, to, to see the waters, you know, learn English yep. and do something different. And I was on a, on a break from my university course. And that's when I decided suit jiu-jitsu i'm going to live from jiu-jitsu and that's what i'm going to do and that was me thinking i'm going to train to be a competitor i'm going to be the best competitor i can be and that's going to be my journey i will do if i have to teach to accomplish that we'll do that and i'll figure my way out
0: right
1: and then that was the third stage a stage of recognizing the purpose i had inside this inside the sport and that is a stage that i'm living uh the last few shorter years, uh, after my actual, like just before, like I could say two, three years before my retirement, I was already clicked into this. Mm-hmm. I was just completing my cycle in transition to a new one. And that was another stage that just before my retirement, 2016, like maybe 2014, I was already defined. Uh, was that scary?
0: Did you have any like fear around that departure? Like leaving, leaving competition behind and really accepting that. You are now moving into this role as, yeah. as a, a teacher, as an advocate, as something. I, I can only imagine that that's very difficult to, maybe like turn that side of you off. No.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. And this is one of the things I share a lot with the people closer to me, as students and people that I, I support inside the team. Uh, it was a, it's a journey to to get to understand who you are. That I had to go through and understanding jiu-jitsu in a bigger picture, not just in the the short term of a tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to really come into terms that what do I want for the rest of my life? Right? What what am I going to do for the rest of my life after my competitive career? That is a big question. Jiu-Jitsu was definitely decided a long time ago, and new jiu-jitsu is the path. It's part of her. my passion, my purpose is all there, but it was really recognizing that what I needed to do to achieve the, what I was at that time is one thing, it's train hard, compete, train, just repeat. And it's like doing this all the time, but what I needed to do to, for the, my next stage of life was a very different thing than I had to do until that part. When I recognized that there is a moment that I needed to look for different heights and different things, which was filled by understanding my purpose in jujitsu and, and that's where I made the shift. I completed the years and I wanted to do what I prepared to do for my competition career. So I leave it with a, I can call it wash my hands and do what I feel like I had to do. And it was not defined by a title, by the way. I really wanted to get that world title in the IBJJF. And it was about how much, what I needed, what I was prepared to do to achieve that. And I want to make sure that I'm not going to leave until I do everything that I believe I had to do to achieve that. Right? And that was a critical moment for me. And then I made a deal with myself because at that time I had a family. I had things that I want to develop. And I gave that time to myself and then and what the hard the hard thing was to come to terms that my identity was shift at until that time my identity was i am an athlete i am a competitor i am a guy who trains hard to go and try to win titles in many tournaments worlds dcc whatever i was going to and now that i don't compete anymore who is victor that is a very daunting feeling because I never done anything else but be training jiu-jitsu, train my students and train myself and manage my school. That's the only thing I knew how to do. And that feeling, he had to break. I had to break myself. I had to break the ego that I had about who I built myself to be. This guy who, is, who goes into a tournament, many people come and talk to me. Uh, because I was in evidence at that time, And Victor no longer be recognized by the generations to come because people forget who you are as a competitor very quickly. And, and I needed to come to terms, okay, my relevance would not be by how much I won. my relevance needs to be done by how much I contribute. So I started to really having conversations with myself, who is the new Victor, who is this person, but I never built that person yet. Right. I needed to build that person. So I had to go accept the fact that Victor, the competitor will pass. And now Victor needs to build a new self and then my identity has to be rebuilt, but then my value, my internal value was me as an athlete. So I had to learn to value myself yeah. for who I was, not for what I did. That was a moment of uh, turmoil in my mind. Right. It was a lot of beating of my own ego. I was already trying to come to terms and I, I got to a point where I realized, okay, I can see what I need to be, what I need to do. I need to impact more than myself. I need to use jiu-jitsu as a platform to help people better themselves, mm-hmm. you know, fulfill their potential with, in, in jiu-jitsu or through jiu-jitsu. That was my mission since then. That has been my And, and I have the platform of Racy Barra to do so, trying to help people to live a life they're proud of, live the life that impacts positively in the community by helping kids, adults, women, uh, and people in needs. They, they need to find themselves with Jiu-Jitsu and I want to be able to support that in entity level, personal level, and, and be immersed into this journey and be truth to myself. So that... Talk time you know a way. talk more and that's what I probably can tell to a lot of people to whoever is listening it takes time to build a new identity and but you don't need to be afraid to to make a change because what we need to understand is that your value as a person is not on what you do but who you are and what you are. What you build to be as a competitor is the lessons you've learned, the process that you experience, everything that you uh, became, who you became on a process to become the best you can be on a particular department. That needs to be replicated in different elements of your life, but you need to find ways that you can continue to evolve, right? Beyond the tournaments, beyond the competitive career. And, and, and challenge yourself, be uncomfortable again. And this is how I felt like I was doing. I I knew, I didn't know how it was going to become in six years, 10 years from there, but I knew that I was going to use all my skills from competitive career to apply into my new life. And that gave me confidence that it's only a matter of time I will embody a new version of myself. I just needed to know where I was going And, and I knew it and I've been pursuing that journey ever since. It's
0: always impressive to hear people walk away with conviction, which is a lot different than walking away. You know, a lot of people walk away with regret or they walk away and they leave the door open and they wonder and they get pulled back or they think, well, you know, I'm healthier now than I was a year ago. And if I just put in the time and if I, I think I could work a little bit harder, I could push a little bit harder. Uh, you know, that guy's not that good anymore, whatever the, those voices in the head, never go away. They talk to you every single day. I remember that from, from skiing. I made it a similar decision when I was 18 to stop pursuing skiing because I, all I wanted to do was go to the Olympics. That was it. That's all I, th- I thought about that every single day of my childhood was I'm going to go to the Olympics. And I was nine spots away from the U S ski team. My, when I was 18 and I was, I had a fork in the road of like. Do I want to pursue this and dedicate every single ounce of my body to this for the next two, three years? And I, the Olympic year was three away. So I knew it would be a three-year push to try to make the team and get there. Or do I want to pursue an education and, and continue like evolving my life? And it was really, really hard. It was so hard. And when I decided it was a lot of factors, it was injury. It was likelihood of re-injury. It was trajectory. It was education It was all these things, family and. It was really hard when I decided to stop skiing to just close the door because then I would watch my competitors. I'd watch people I used to ski against. I would go skiing. I, it had to actually get to a point where I just didn't even ski, which is weird to think. You spend your entire childhood doing it. It would be like you just closing the doors on jiu for two years and not doing it. But it was wow. kind of the only way that I could move beyond it and stop wondering. And then well on the other side of that you start to feel the confidence again of your decision and you're you're reaffirmed that you've made the right choice and i just see you know even for being exposed to you as long as i have which is not that long relative to your career the embodiment of like this advocate for not only for gracie baja but also the sport for the, you know, outreach to help other people that want to get involved or that want to ascend up or be competitive or do it as a hobby. You can see that that's, you're, you're doing that, right? Like you, you've accepted that that's the next part of you. And that's, that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with is to decide. Finite. Yeah. Move on.
1: That's true. It's about being, I think that, you know, I read this book called The Journey of Success by John C. Maxwell. Uh, I did read this book when I was nine, 18 years old and that helped me to make a decision to pursue this as my passion, my dream. And and then it talks a lot about having clarity about what is your dream. Yeah. And, and people sometimes they can have dreams that are confused uh, with... <laughs> With destinations, like I, my dream is to be a world champion, but then what is a destination? You, your dream cannot be a destination.
0: Right. It
1: needs to be a, a journey. Process. And, and a process. And, and then I, I really felt like I needed to really understand well myself to understand what do I really want for my life? What is the dream? What is the dream? Everybody's got a different one and you have to pursue your dream. But if you don't have clarity about what is the dream and how can you pursue great things, pursue, maybe you even achieve what you set up to go to. But when you find out you got that, it it didn't give you the feeling that you thought you were going to have.
0: This happens all the time.
1: All the time, because people yeah. are trapped to create an illusion what they think they want for themselves. But the question needs to be always asked. Yep. The you know the, the the journey is the is the journey of your dream rather than the destination of your dream, where you want to be one day so you are happy. It's, so it's the true. same conversation about happiness, right? Yeah. When when I buy in the house, I'll be happy. When I
0: it's not true.
1: I open my own academy, I'll be happy. You're not yeah. gonna be happy. Because once you get there, you're going to think, how about the next thing? And you can never build. We can't be building our, uh, all our ounces of our body, the energy that you have only for a destination. And then, be, and then once you try to think beyond the destination, you think about living every day of your life in a particular way. And that needs to be guiding you into the dream life which is the way you live the life. How can you live the life of your dreams? Is it just having money? You know, it's not about having money. It's about how you spend your day. Yeah. You know, how you... And also a big thing, I think people underestimate the, the giving element. Mm-hmm. Be of us, serve your community, serve the people. That is an incredible feeling that you have when you actually feel that you matter and you're relevant in other people's lives.
0: I and... think that that's that's one part of jujitsu. I think that is ingrained in this. Uh, you kind of hit on it earlier, almost like a DNA level thing is when you go into an academy, no matter the level of tenacity, aggression, relaxation, whatever the, the vibe is of the place, and you know, you've been to many different schools, you've competed in many different tournaments all over the world. Each school kind of has its own vibe to it. No matter what, all the people inside of that building that are on that mat together, they're, they're trying to make each other better, which is, that is a really, really unique setting and it's not something that you necessarily would find in an office building. If you went into a, a small corporation, right? The sales team's not trying to make the marketing team better. The marketing team's not trying to make the CEO's life better. Maybe they're working on similar goals, but that physical victor is trying to make me a better practitioner by just by training with me and vice versa. It's this really positive thing. And and, and sometimes don't even notice it because there's, you know, maybe someone taps somebody else and they're exhausted or accidentally somebody gets hurt or there's these things that flare up in a setting, but at the end of the day, Every person, you know, they bow to each other out of respect. They work their ass off to whatever their ability is, whether they can work really hard or just a little bit. They're all trying to make each other better. And then when it's all said and done, it's it's handshakes and hugs and respect. And that's a crazy environment. And it's really addicting. It's addicting to be part of that.
1: It's because it's authentic. Yeah, it's it's real. And you feel it every single moment. And also in order for you to train jiu someone, you have to have trust with that person. Mm-hmm. Because if you, you put in your body in the, in the hands of somebody else, your health in the hands of somebody else. And the fact that you, that's why it's important for whoever is listening as well to think about what sort of school are you training in? Because mm-hmm. it, this would be amazing if the reality that you just described would be of every school. Right. But it, unfortunately, they're not. Yeah. And that's why I'm looking for schools that uh, value that kind of culture, mm-hmm. culture of respect, mutual support, you know, collaboration is important, not just trying to beat each other and just go home.
0: And it doesn't good. mean weakness either. Sometimes people equate that with weakness or, or being less than that. Oh, they don't train hard enough. That's not true at all. You can be super respectful and have intentions of making your, your teammates better. And you can train really, really tough. True. So it's, it's not a mutually exclusive world and finding, yeah, I implore anyone to listen to find a school that allows those things to exist in the same place, because you're right. There are, there are some like with anything, right? I mean, there's restaurants that serve bad food. There's personal trainers that don't care about their exactly. their clients' health and well-being. So it's all something that can happen.
1: And that's the be- the best thermometer for that is ego management.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you manage in- ego in now as you know as someone who's competed at the highest levels, as someone who has embodied this position as an advocate in the sport and a leader in the sport? How do you manage and allow? And, and that's an important part of this. How do you allow ego to exist? Because to some degree, ego is really beneficial, right? If you, Mm -hmm. let's say that you're competing against somebody, ego is going to be the thing that makes you think that you can win. And that's an important part of confidence. But then there's this bad side of ego too that can be destructive to the quality or, or the energy of a school. It can be destructive to your teammates. So how do you, Victor, view ego And how do you manage it with your students?
1: That's a really big question because this is something for me, the, the balance of those two is the, in my opinion, the ideal for a great athlete, Mm -hmm. right? And I, if you think about the ego, they need to be completely broken in order for you to explore and don't care and don't allow your self-worth to be based on your ability to win a train. your self-worth yeah. is not by not tapping to someone your self-worth is not about you know it will just be the person who wins your self-worth is how you handle all the positive and the negative parts of training when you are under pressure how you handle yourself how when you lose a match how do you handle yourself
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think if you have your ego managed, you can explore technique, you can explore your development without the worry or fear of being caught out and tap out or lose positions. And, and you can be fulfilling that best self and evolve and don't care about what it means to be tapped. And, and in order to be great winners, you need to know, you know to handle yourself when you're at the lowest. Yeah. It speaks loud about people like this. And and all, of, but at the same time, you need to want to be that to prove uh, to yourself and to, to, to you, to whenever you go to a tournament, you want to prove that you can accomplish those things. You can express uh, the best possible form of jujitsu art, you know, you can explore yourself to the max, being challenged to the highest level and still perform. And this is an inner battle, something that you gotta do it for yourself. Because if you do it for others, that is a challenge, right there. You still feel the responsibility to represent your team, represent the people around you, people who helps you. But truly, you wanna be doing this to to better yourself, to you know, to show to yourself that you can accomplish those things. And I think it's important to have that ego that you wanna prove it. Yeah. But then when you wanna prove it to To just bring fame to yourself or to bring attention to yourself because you're trying uh, to feed that lack of confidence that you have in yourself. And that (laughs) ego becomes uh, toxic because you lose the sense of confidence versus versus arrogance. Confidence and arrogance, they're really, really close together.
0: Very close.
1: (laughs) They're very close. And then I feel like some people... They like to play the arrogant because they are trying to tell themselves they should they they can't do things. Mm-hmm. But really it's because they believe they can't. They try to tell themselves otherwise. They right. try to speak very loudly that they want they want to be recognized in a particular way by the community. They don't feel like they are valued in their hearts. You know, I, I feel like you need to value yourself and don't need their affirmation on the. On the recognition of others to do great.
0: Do you, and... do you feel sorry to interrupt on the no, no, on, no. on that point specifically? Um, at the high level of jujitsu competition and when you were competing just to some regard, it's it's the heyday, right? You have some of the the biggest names in the last 20 years, all competing at the same time together. And I'm curious, are there are there athletes that carry too high a level of that ego, even at that level? Because I think the perception is that, you know, as everyone goes through jujitsu, I feel like if you took 50 people who had been training for between one and five years, you're going to get a, a pretty big agreement that people's perception of how they thought they were changed, right? That they got surprised by jujitsu. They realized that they didn't have the skills that they thought they had, or they weren't as tough as they thought they were, or they thought they would just kind of have their way with people, but they were surprised by the technique and the skill mm-hmm. of someone smaller. Many people have this, this same kind of evolution in jujitsu. And it's a powerful part, a powerful part of that connection is that it's reshaping who you think you are in the moment. And that's addicting because now you're curious and you want to know more, but as you get past that, you know, up into your level at black, belt, everyone's been doing this 15, 20 years, you're globally elite. Everyone is, Everyone could win on any day, right? It's, it's so competitive and so technical, but do you still find that some athletes carry that level of ego, that negative side of ego? And how do you approach that in a match?
1: That's, um, you know, when I see somebody, to be honest, in my generation, that is very few people that are recognize somebody with a high ego. Hmm. Uh, I think that, I don't know if you feel that way, but in the last maybe six to, to, to six years, I would say last a few, the last lately, mm-hmm. um, it's been a, a, a boom of the jujitsu, uh, media.
0: Yeah. 100% uh, people gain
1: recognition mm-hmm. people are, uh, there's a really strong media in jujitsu yeah. that are people talking about more people are practicing. More people are watching jujitsu competitions and that is now. Uh, there are people with success that have to be speaking out loud uh, and okay. speaking and build themselves with words and and trying to to you know to bring. they've been it arrogance almost like conor mcgregor style you know that you yeah. speak bad mouth and you dare, there you're loud and you bring attention to yourself because you just is going in a direction where people are trying to create personal uh branding yeah and and sometimes, depending on where that culture is really well established, that is this acceptable arrogance for those who can deliver. I look at Gordon Ryan. He's a perfect example of that, in my opinion. Okay. He's, uh, in my opinion, the best no-gi grappler uh, from, of this generation. Yeah. And there's no question on his ability uh, to perform and deliver great jiu-jitsu. Uh, was great watching him at ECC. It was incredible, and and he's also known to be very arrogant. Right. Even himself agreed to that because he made statements right. of that <laughs> in the yeah. past. Yeah. But but also, why does he perform the way he also is a marketing uh, smart marketing person. Yeah. So he's leveraging the moment of media and the moment of. Uh, and there he is replicating what other stars of other sports have created. Muhammad Ali,
0: Floyd Mayweather,
1: Conor McGrath, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. And somehow that I am the best kind of approach, which is crosses the line of confidence versus arrogance. And the arrogance, when it's backed up, it works. But when it doesn't, it looks really bad. Right. And it's in a line where. He people are doing those things to be able to bring attention and build their, their personal brand and bringing attention and relevance for their set for themselves so they can worth more in a in a pay-per-view fight and, and and so on right so now it's a generation of people that have been uh inspired to behave in a particular way that are more in line with those ideas and and i think that I'm not even, this, this is the way it is, Jiu Jitsu is right now, right. I mean, I'm not trying to hit, I am not trying to too. give it a, criticize anyone yeah. here, but that is an element of that happening now, the arrogance, but yeah. it, the thing is, somebody like Gordon, I'm sure he doesn't train with arrogance because he has to explore every moment, every angle right. of Jiu Jitsu, I'm sure he doesn't have an ego training, and and he's using his ego to try to stand, be the king and be the guy who's trying to be, and it's, and it's great to see somebody fulfilling the standard of justice but then yeah. I, in my opinion i feel like athletes have also responsibility to inspire uh, the good moral values, right that is I now know. it's and such that a... Is a and that's for me for me it's, it's it's a bigger problem than any of the athletes the problem of our culture yeah the culture of people that praises this approach and they they don't value the good moral values they like to see the the star being the guy who beats oh do you want to see them lose you want to see them win it's like that's definitely
0: i don't i'm not convinced exactly how i feel about all this because it's 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 actually very it's a very complex issue i don't know if it's a problem but it is an issue so and I, I think this is true for most sports in their near their infancy. And if you jujitsu has been around a long time, but if you look at it in like the public sphere, it is it's new and it's it's gained traction. Right. And with traction is more eyes. And what happens is you 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 want both things like you want jiu-jitsu to spread. You want more people to be exposed to it. You want the person that feels a lack of self-confidence, that feels weak to have a leg to stand on. You want them to have the experience you have. I want them to have the experience that I've had. And the best way for that to happen to more total people around the world is for the sport to grow. So sports grow because of stars. If you that's true for anything, right? Like you why do people want to play football? Because they want to score goals like Messi or they want to score goals like Ronaldinho, right? It's that idolization of this person that excites you to throw the Jersey on and go in your backyard and start to learn to juggle and then start to learn to score. And so these stars become an important part of growth, but with growth and social media, which is the real problem, it creates this drive for algorithmic success. So when you make something, you want it to track and you want it to get engagement and you want it to get likes and you want it to get shares. And when that's the underlying metric, What gets shared a car accident or someone giving flowers to an old person? People watch the car accident all day long. It's for whatever reason, we just were drawn towards chaos and towards the heel. Right. And so Gordon is playing this character. You see it in wrestling all the time, right? Wrestling is fake. We know that they train hard, but it's fake. And what do you see in wrestling characters and what do characters do, they play storylines. And so they have, the evil guy and they have the person getting back at the other person and the swindler and the rich dude, like all the caricatures show up. And so now you have this weird time where on one side, you have this phenomenal grappler, absolute phenom. One of the, the currently the best of all time, right? No Nogi grappler in Gordon, but you also have the opportunity to grow the character yeah. in the sport. And so what does he do? Because like you said, I bet you, if you went to B team and you showed up as Victor and, and to train, they would respect that 100% and it would be productive training and you would all learn from each other yep. and Gordon would be respectful and the coaches would be respectful and everyone would go about their day.
1: And but the perception exactly, is different. And that is exactly my point. And then, and this is where I, I have got the opportunity to, to meet him and I actually, because the perception that we have from social media is one thing, but in person he's a completely different person. He's still very opinionated, but he's, he's got a, a people skills. And right. so again, that is this element that benefits the sport, but it's a, it's a, it's a sword that cuts both ways.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. Cause I think about when I was a kid, like. What I I martial arts weren't an option to me when I was younger in the town I grew up in because it's a ski town. they they now have a jujitsu academy, but that years later. What drew me towards martial arts in the beginning was this martial code, this like weird level of respect that was kind of underwritten. So you you watch Hoist go into the ring, right? Is is it fireworks and gun? No, it's his dad with his shoulders on his hands, and his brother with his shoulder hands on. Family. hands. It's family. It's honor. It's respect. It's he. He's in the gi. He's fighting guys in a gi, in a sport where sweat is advantageous to slip in and out of positions, right? But it's he is upholding this value, and this this whole idea. And I, like when you see that, I was just like, wow, like. That So that's, to me, when I was younger, that's like the the Ronaldinho soccer moment. And I see that and I'm like, there was something about that respect, honor code thing that was just like nothing I had seen before. Then you see it in Hollywood a little bit, like in Bruce Lee movies, right? Is there's this code that he's operating on. It's martial arts, right? It's like the martial code of these, this art form. And you see that maybe starting to go away a little bit.
1: Yes, 100%. But one of the things you probably could have seen at E C C. I personally, for the first time I watched Golden fighting mm-hmm. and I saw the way he approached with, uh, Galvan, oh. and how respectful, honorable, how he was not pushed around with the slap in the beginning of the match. Yeah, that's how true. He was, how he showed respect to Andre Galvon in the end, how he didn't make a big deal about himself. I, I felt like that was a very. Surprising and very positive approach. That's very that true. That's and very I, true, I yeah. came out. I came out with a different image of him when I came when I saw that because I saw genuine feeling and care and respect. And that, for me, is already if if he balances being confident and respectful, he's still gonna be Golden the, the 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 biggest guy. But he also going to impact positively new generations. I feel like that is a happy medium, and people still going to want to watch him fight. Not because he's screaming about it, because he is.
0: Right. Yeah, great that's a watch. That's a very that good for point. Me,
1: that is a moment, but that's, I guess it's about trying to create something. And then mm-hmm. the fact that he's been doing what he does also creates polemica and, and then it's the way it is. But I'm not, I felt positive anyways but that is not the only one that is other people who are going to go on that in the same path and and i think that can create an, an influence to others that might not be so positive but how much positive is influence introduced to versus right negative? and then there's another conversation but i do feel like we truly need to i feel like we as as a martial artists people who are in the front line we need to give a good example for the kids, good example, yeah. for the new generation and we need to inspire them to be better people. And this for me important. Um, and I feel like there are many other athletes athletes that do this when I see George St. Pierre, he was one of the greatest. Yeah. And, and look, his ethos, his way of communicating, he was confident. He, he spoke about his ability and how he trusted his ability, how he was going to beat people. He created showmanship, yep. he created personal brand, but he kept within the brackets of uh, 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 a good moral man. You know, at the, at the end of the women. day,
0: at the end of the day, no matter, you got to live with your, yourself, right? At, no matter what, whether you played the heel or not, whether you created the character or not, the the person that goes home at night, that looks you in the mirror that's you. And so if, if you're comfortable portraying those, those types of characters or not, then that's like a, it's an individual level. I I'm curious, I watched ADCC from my couch (laughs) and I was just blown away at the spectacle of this event. If you look relative to the year prior and then if you go all the way down the line, what was it like being there? What was the energy like?
1: I I was in a situation where I have competed before. It was nowhere near. And I have this um, such a positive feeling to know that jiu-jitsu is being showcased in such a high spectacle. And I felt proud to have been part of the organization. I felt proud that our sport it's been in this level and i know this is just the beginning as well and it felt like it, the athletes were given respect and appreciation and they were valued for the real hard work that goes behind the scenes i felt like they 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 brought a light on and, and on the on the on the on the, on the stars of the event right yeah it's not only one it's, it's the it's many of them and it was amazing to see that through 12 hours, all seats were yeah. filled. And there and was couches. not this thing, I'm going to come back later, you know? Right. And there's not that many things to eat either. It was like, <laughs> no, everybody was there. We quickly bring snacks and, and and even doing ordering things online, and, right. and but going back to the seat and and it was beautiful to see the atmosphere. And it, we had a crowd that understood jiu-jitsu, not a crowd who just likes jiu-jitsu. Yes. They, they, they cheered up for the, the, the hook that went inside that was dangerous. And they the, the set up for the takedown that almost got, got, got in. And, but nothing happened, but there was a almost, almost happened. Yeah. And it was great to see that the crowd was truly engaged. And everybody was so nice and a good vibe. There was no uh, anger or or bad words. There was like a really positive energy. And everybody was so chuffed to be over there.
0: (laughs) I uh, I resonate with that feeling so much. I whenever I travel, I always try to find an academy and drop in. And it's just so cool when you you know, you can be somewhere completely on the other side of the planet and you drop in to train. And that the only common ground, the only pre existing thing is that you, you like jujitsu, right? You don't know them. They don't know you. You know nothing about each other. You don't even know if you trust each other yet. But you can go in and you can just it's like you're you're part of this family that's everywhere that uh, it is really special. And I can only imagine that in, in a setting like that. I mean, you, you bring up a really interesting point that I haven't heard before, which is the un, the the intelligence of the crowd relative to the sport. So if you go to a football game in America, you have a lot of fans there for sure. But you also have a lot of people that are going with their friend or you have a lot of people that are not doing anything that day, right? Or they maybe they watch one game a year. But not every single person in the fans understands football the way that the, the fans understood grappling, what's going on. And that is such a good thing for the growth the genuine growth the right kind of growth like we were talking about of the sport of the awareness is you have a a whole stadium full of people that understand a, a movement adjustment you know the really fine details like that it's a it's a really good knock on the sport i wonder having been through the whole elite competitive ring and compete at the level that you have and now now in the role that you're in And going to an event like that, having been an ADCC competitor in the past, if you look into, like, the future of jiu-jitsu, right, like, the the potential destination where jiu-jitsu is headed, and right now we're kind of in the journey of it, what do you think happens to gi jiu-jitsu in the wake of the growth of ADCC? And how many people, I think because of the proximity to mixed martial arts, are also training no gi as their starting point?
1: I think that is a. He opens up a possible conversation for quite controversial and could be so many different directions because the divide to gi and no gi is so. Uh, it's been spoken a lot more today, yeah. but it's funny enough. But in the past, that happened as well. Uh, there was a lot of uh, comments, a lot of people going to to no gi and MMA correlations, and yeah. it feels like it goes into waves. Of, of a priority like a media attention and and the excitement of the no gi definitely adds the to the entertainment aspect. So there will be always an interest uh, and probably will continue to grow more and more over time. But I don't think jujitsu in the gi will ever be like compromised. Uh, because the way you train key is also a, a different experience, a different feel. It's a diff- it's, Even though they are like pretty much the same thing, but feels different. You can create different things, accomplish different things. And I feel that I personally, I like to train the thing that I spend the most doing. Because I feel like I'm building a game, I'm building myself and but i i enjoy the different experiences that gi and nogi brings to me i embrace it with excitement uh i also feel the gi techniques are much more technical much more complex and it gives uh the smaller person bigger chances yes than the gi than the nogi and and i feel like that will always be a relevance. Maybe uh, people, when you go to a school of Jiu Jitsu, are schools now dedicated more to no Gi, but there's a lot of interest to Gi Jiu Jitsu as well, because there's also the ethos of the belt, ranking, yeah. the system, the code, the field, the how the uniform fits yes. in you. It, it's kind of a, it almost is like the embodiment of all the values. It's right there together with the uniform. I feel like there'll be much more priority into a no-gi, uh, into the no-gi scene. Yeah. I think no-gi is going to be a bigger part of our jiu school. Uh, there will be like the, the need for adjustments on schools and increasing number of classes, uh, opening extra med spaces and <laughs> make right. equal, you know, and you will see that people have room to do both and, and, but I don't think jujitsu with the gi will, will be diluted. I don't think it will, it will continue to grow and, and develop. It's the same. Some people like strawberries, some people like blueberry.
0: <laughs> I like them both.
1: I like them both. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. I've, I've always felt like the, I learn a lot of body awareness from no gi training in the, it, the quickness that you tend to go from position to position, or the weight distribution of how to stall a position by using your body weight, not by using a, like a grip. And then that only benefits gi training, because if you better understand where your body is in space or where your leverage is or your pressure, then you're gonna have more opportunities to control the situation. Did um, I, I wonder where did, did the Estima Lock originate out of no gi or gi training? Actually, no gi. And it was, how did you how did you find that?
1: Well, it's there's a story of frustration on, on that, <laughs> that move uh, because I go back a little bit. In 2009, I competed uh, in a final of the real Open against Abihian. Uh, uh, at that time, he came to the scene of competition. He beat Tassis Humphreys really fast. And then I, I went to fight him. I was going up a division. I was middleweight trying to hit middle, medium heavy. He, he was with a very dangerous footlock. At that time, I was very comfortable with footlocks, straight footlocks. I never felt like my foot was under that much pressure. I always find a way to kind of wiggle myself out. I trained with some good people with the footlock, but I felt like confident on defending, but this guy made it feel like my foot's going to come off the ball. And it was just in a straight footlock. Yeah, and I lost the match. My foot was blown away, and I had to go sore with my foot and with my ego crushed a little. You know, (laughs) I was coming from a very good journey on competitions. Still, my I think was my 30 years of black belt. Then I came home with that feeling. 2009 was also the year. Uh, where I was helping my brother prepare for ADCC 2009. It's the year that he won the Bogo. And I was in great shape. He was preparing for a while. And I'm the younger brother, smaller. And I was still trying to catch up with my standard. And and he definitely had the edge in most most movement. Especially when he was so prepared, I couldn't even see the light of day. I couldn't even see how I could start passing his guard. Yeah. He was so prepared, so pressureful, that it would invert on me and then try to get my leg. He would sweep me, get to the top, and it was full of locks, inverted triangles. He was getting it, and it was so hard for me. But then I kept thinking about that, that feeling that I had at the footlock, and I remember if I needed to get a footlock, I need to make the foot feel like it's going to pop out the skin, you know, and it's going to come off the bone they have to feel that way so people tap because I never thought I was going to tap in a court in and footlock unless my foot's going to come out. Right. <laughs> so that was the the origin, the, or, the origin. Then yes. I started to play with my brother and then I couldn't pass. I couldn't achieve anything, but he 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 tried to he kept trying to invert inside my left leg, trying to catch my leg, to push me away, to enter inside my leg, to drop my balance and trying to invert the triangles and, And then I kept looking at his foot, looking at his foot. I couldn't pass, I couldn't do it, just defend. I saw the foot in the middle and I locked his toes in my belly and I literally locked a real naked choke and I pulled back. He basically screamed really really (laughs) fast. And I was a bit shocked because I was not catching Braulio much in those years. And I don't know why he's so prepared. And then I, maybe I thought that his foot was hurt or sore, you know, something. I felt like yeah. it was too easy to be true. And then we continued to play in the same round to continue the time. And he did it again. I went again, Bow! and I yeah. did you no know, two times in the same row with my brother. That never happened before. That's impossible. <laughs> and then the time finished and then my brother asked Victor what the hell did you do on that movement? You know, I said, are you okay with your foot? Because I thought you were hurt. And <laughs> No, 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 man, it was going to hurt if I didn't do it. And I was like, okay. And I showed him what to do. I locked on under my belly, played around, and showed him the movement. And then he, we then started talking about how other ways that that position shows and how can we do different things. We brainstormed together and then I kept trying to do that move all along all the time with him with others and then ADCC came and he fought Rafael Lovato yeah. and I'm on the second match of his division and with 30 seconds of the match Broglio locked the foot the rear naked choke and pulled back and Lovato really quickly tapped and there was like a shock in the system Nobody understood what it was. And I looked at him and I said, can't believe you did it. You know, it was kind of a, I was something that I felt really proud that I, I, I created and he, the one pulled it first in a tournament. It was kind of the test in the water. If he works in the DCC in the highest level, he works against anyone. Right. And then, and I saw, it's a funny situation. Maybe Shanji and, and, and Lovato hear this comment now, they laugh a little bit, but (laughs) I saw them, I was walking by and they were doing an aftermath of the position and Lovato at that time just made a comment, Yeah, my foot was stuck on the short, I don't know what happened, just locked and then he got caught. And in my mind, he was not stuck on <laughs> the short, he, <laughs> he was a, all planned out.
0: Like we planned and that. I
1: just kept it to my heart at that time, yeah. I kept it inside and and that's when it was created and, and Braulio made it the first one in a tournament and I think... In two thousand, uh, I, I I kind of every tournament I've ever competed after that, I probably got one person, two people, uh, on on that move.
0: Yeah, and I think and, Wikipedia and that... Wikipedia has some insane stat for you on how many Esteema locks that you had submitted in in, <laughs> in tournament. And I was like, but that's that that is something that's so cool too about jiu is you think about how long jiu-jitsu has been around yet it still allows for creativity it allows you it. A, a practitioner to you know in the heat of the moment in that passive state where your your body's more reacting to what's going on and less than you thinking about it and you just boom you create something based on instinct only to find out that it's not a farce that that, that actually you really did yeah, create something that hadn't been done. New,
1: yeah. This is this is a you know, but I never really thought at that time that that was going to become something. I yeah. knew that it was something so specific to me that I locked it, I did it, and then we started to systemize it, uh, and I started to implement and find success. And then the f- interesting fact about this is in 2011 I went to fight the world's no game. Mm-hmm. and then on the same year, on the same week. I booked to do the, the Estima Lock DVD with the Budo videos. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that time, but it was 2011. I spent about three hours recording a like a, a whole instructional on many different types of Estima Locks. And that was the first time we put a name to it. Nobody really said a name before. So when I put that DVD on, I called it EstimaLock. And then I practiced for three hours recording that thing. <laughs> and then at my matches, I submitted all my matches in the middleweight division the World's No gi with an estimal. It was like all of them. And I and I was so sharp because yeah. I practiced for three hours the same moves. That's
0: it wild. felt
1: sweet. Yeah. Did it and then I think it was from then that point and uh, that the people got to see what it was and and then other athletes started to implement in different situations. Bushesha did so many right. uh, other athletes did so many that I've seen friends of my students of mine and 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 became something that uh, stayed. You you mentioned
0: and I, I thought that we actually might touch on this in the beginning is but I, I really liked the path that we've taken here. Um, You mentioned your brother and I've I've listened to you talk about comparison before, and I think it's really important that we touch on this because Comparison, you know the, the old saying, "Comparison is the death of joy." It's it, it's an opportunity for you to be di- distracted from your own life and start to think about what ifs and if I only had this or that or whatever it is. It can become very toxic. But comparison can also be a motivator. It can be a driving force. It, it like an ego, right? It has this both sides to the coin. And I'm curious, maybe you can take me back to when you and Braulio were kids. What was childhood like for you too, And then what was high level competition like for you guys?
1: Uh, like, I think we both of us we were very competitive. Uh, since we were kids, I think, me being a younger child, uh, I felt very much in competition with my brother and everything I've ever done. <laughs> uh, and I now I have a younger son, and I know his response to the older brother and probably was very similar to my response. Right. Um it was, I felt like I didn't know my age. I didn't know my, 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 my position. I just thought that I was incapable to do what my brother does. It felt like somehow everything that he did, he did better than me. It felt like I could never do as good. And it, it was always something so hard to take as a, as a young child. Uh, but at the same time. You know, Bradley was was there competing in the similar sports to me, and with the he- years ahead, and and I think that uh, somehow I was always comparing myself and trying to reach his standard uh, in everything I did since I grew up. Probably since yeah. I tried to walk faster than he did because <laughs> I wanted to just do what he does. Yeah, that goes from baby stage all the way to the top. And there were things as well that. He motivated my brother that I only found out in the future when I was already a grown up because the fact that I was able to do well at football and be well recognized, I was playing for good teams and he was not able to do the same. It made him want to do more because his younger brother was doing it. Right. And somehow we pushed each other in our development stage, uh, in a quite interesting way, there was some in the back and forth. Yeah. of stages of the supporting each other in the process.
0: So did when your brother, for example, like with the ADCC gold, right, winning double gold, is that a moment of of embrace and celebration for both of you equally? Does it feel like uh, the estima is winning double gold? Or is there regret? Is there um, negative comparison at that point for you?
1: When brother won at ECC, I was so happy for him. He was so happy, you could not, I could not describe. I was happier for him to win than for me to win myself. That's awesome. Uh, and the reason why is because I was part of everything that brother did. I was part of his training program. I was part. I was teaching in the class, in the school so he can train. I was. Uh, I was being a contributor to my brother because he helped me so much in so many situations that I felt I needed to give back. And my way to give back, I was going to do whatever I could. Even to be able to be in a standard where I can offer challenge and training enough for him, it made me feel proud that he chose whenever he came. He used to go train with Roger a lot. and, And then he would come back and he would count on me for his training on the off days that he was not in London and I felt so proud of that, that he counted me as, as an equal and, and that and some, when he won the double gold, he just felt an expression yeah. of myself too. Uh, but very quickly, I realized that it's his journey mm-hmm. and it's not my journey. He's his, his title, his achievement. He deserves that, but I didn't win. I didn't do it myself. So it's that sense of, um uh, reality and sense of responsibility to my own achievements, kick things straight away and I'm happy for him, but uh, it's not me that I'm also going to have my moment. That's always something that I, I felt it was going to happen at some point. It's his moment. I will have my moment.
0: It's a very healthy view of that. I, I, I know people personally struggle with, with comparison. And I mean, I would actually include myself in this boat, right? It's. It's easy to look over the other side of the fence and and wish and hope, but you can only compare yourself to where you were yesterday. It's, that's yeah. what my fiance always tells me, and I I love that saying because it's true. When you look at it like that, you get perspective on your yes. own progress, and that's the only thing that that's truly only matters. Because it does matter. Back... Where... So, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Go ahead. No, the... and that's when uh, Brian and I. This was the moment where it was very easy for me to be happy for him. I, because that stage of me, it was all about us creating, doing it, and it was great. But that was a moment in our relationship and being brother to Braulio that I pressured myself so much to replicate what he did mm. that it was causing a negative effect, but not by the feeling we had for each other, but because I felt that right. I also had to, because I was a younger brother coming. If my, my self-worth would only be if I actually right. accomplished what he did somehow. Yeah. It was, and that was the moment of discovering on how to perform myself and how to grow to, to my full potential. And those are the learning curves that I had to go through to be who I am today. And, yeah. But first was blurred by, I want to be like him. I want to do like him, but I'm not him. I cannot expect to be like him because I would set myself for failure. I would just be who I am and be who I am. It doesn't matter what the results The results to be according to who I am, to my story, to the moments, uh, competitions, uh, athletes I will face and my just to stop. And, and that was my journey. then.
0: I think too, in, in those instances, a lot about the description you said of you and your friends driving the car, talking about, you know, what would we do if, if, you know tomorrow we had a a million dollars or something and you all said unanimously do jujitsu when you find yourself compare comparing yourself to other people it's important to ask yourself what would you be doing if if all of that came true in the snap of the fingers all the wishes and wants and everything that you think that you need if that just happened right now what would your day-to-day life look like and if your day-to-day life would be drastically different than the one you're currently living Then it might be time to make some shifts. But if you find, like, I I joke all the time. I'm like, um, you know, how would I spend my day if tomorrow I woke up and there was a billion dollars in my account and never had to work again? I would Mm -hmm. train jujitsu like six days a week and I would podcast because I absolutely Mm -hmm. love it. And it's fulfilling and I enjoy these conversations so much. And that's the answer, right? Then do that. Go do that thing that you would do anyway, and then happens. that's where comparison goes away, and happiness fills the void. It's a different different view
1: a hundred percent and and this is something that comes with that conversation we had earlier about have clarity about what is your dream, what you want to do, yeah. so you can then don't talk about the destination, but talk about the journey, so you can live the life that you're proud of that your dream. Which allows you to be fulfilled, so you should be able to live the way you want to be for the next 10, 20 years. You want to be able to live that life. Of course, work hard in different stages, but but you are like working towards this dream, uh, where you can be, you know, uh, your best self within your routine, your lifestyle. Uh, I would be training a hundred percent. I'll be training a hundred percent. And the thing is, the feeling to train when I want to train. Uh, rock up and just do a session, even being a student yeah. in situations, sometimes we used to teach so many classes that just sometimes turn up, listen to the professor talking, try to follow the techniques and do some specifics and do some rolling and you know, try to implement the new thoughts of the professor. For me, this is a lot of joy. I enjoy being a student. I enjoy teach. Uh, I enjoy being on, on the mats. So that for sure, I will probably increase the number of times I am on the mats. Right. If I, if I, because right now I have to do a lot more work than I used to in the past. I do a lot more office work than I used to do. it. So I don't spend it twice a day on the mats like I used to in the past.
0: So at, at this level, given your career, your current role, what are you still learning
1: in jujitsu? You know, that's a very, very uh, interesting question because, you know, of course, you are constantly learning, uh, but I'm on a journey of trying to to implement my the concepts I understand in different and more creative ways. You know, I think that I'm trying to create synergy across multiple different types of concepts. Because jiu-jitsu, they are different for everyone, but the concepts, they're pure. They're like the the moral codes, you know, of jiu-jitsu. Principles are there, but they be replicated, implemented in different times and structures and angles and positions and different storytelling inside the techniques of jiu-jitsu. And I try to find new stories, you know, new ways of implementing the same thing. And I'm also adapting to my longevity jiu-jitsu. What's and that I'm look moving.
0: like? I'm asking for a friend.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I one thing for sure, I'm doing things that allow less weight in my lower back. Play Jiu-Jitsu styles that have less weight in that lower back. Uh, so,
0: like, le- you play less open guard or, or, like, less positions to get stacked?
1: Yeah, less positions, for example, less armrest from guard, less triangles from guard, uh, more being underneath the center of gravity, yeah. uh, switch to normal plata quickly so you don't take the pressure. Um, I'm practicing a lot you know, guard passing that doesn't require too many back steps. Mm-hmm. He becomes a little bit more static and square and canceling the beginning of the grips of my opponent and don't let him or her begin the positions of me so I can cancel from the start. Mm-hmm. So actually un- un- untangle the games of people uh, to get what I want in more simpler ways. And that doesn't require a lot of, uh, uh, you know, dropping, dropping on the knees, banking on the side, you know, right? because it, it, this is the sort of thing that might, you might have hurt more in jiu-jitsu when you're taking load on your lower back, neck, having to invert too much to get the positions. Um, and then from the top position, the knee crossing, the landing, the shoulder pressures, and that's kind of a, what can create a long, long-term um, damage. If you keep taking stress on those places, try to minimize those and, and then cancel the problem from start. Don't let the problem become a problem. Yeah. And, and then you have the uh, less resistance to own whatever your opponent's trying to accomplish. You take the resistance before it becomes a resistance. So
0: are you able to train? I, I always wonder this about athletes that have been doing this a long time. If someone walks into your academy, maybe they're a friend, maybe they're someone new, and they're of similar skill level and tenure in the sport, they've been around for the same time, do you still have matches in training where you're, go- where you're really going for it and you're really meeting like intensity to intensity, skill level to skill level, or do you purposely stray away from that in pursuit of longevity?
1: Uh, this is a critical question. I am, I'm trying to figure out my balance where I can minimize the level of stress of my body without stopping challenging myself. Right. I'm 38 years old, right? And I'm not, I'm not old at all, still young, still yeah. very capable. And sometimes it's kind of hard for me to hold myself back when I know I have younger generations coming in and trying to uh to, to challenge themselves with me and and uh and I have to I wanna be pushed so I can bet better myself. Right. But physically I have to watch so I don't compromise myself. And number one is being okay uh if I can't accomplish something or if I get scored in or if I lose a match. It's accepting that it's okay. It doesn't define you. It's the ego management one more time. Again, totally. especially when it goes into your standard, it, it, it becomes unequal to you and then you don't want to come from the, from the bottom because in the end of the day, you are a competitor, so you tend to be very competitive. So I, I, I try hard uh, to pick my battles, not do it every time. I'm okay to say no sometimes when I don't feel right. And I try to pick my battles so myself can be, I can be safer uh, when I do it. And... But I think that is a balance that you've got to be able to challenge yourself. You've got to be pushed further, but you don't want to compromise your body. Yeah. So techniques cannot be, I think I played that mentality since the beginning because in some moments I kind of lost track of it, but I, I try to respect this rule. If I am having to compromise my body for a position, that means my position was wrong.
0: I like that. Sometimes my- the simplest pieces of advice are the best
1: ones. Simple one, like if you have to compromise your body in any position to defend or avoid something, it's because you already made the mistake, yeah. you already should pos You should anticipate that. You shouldn't be positioned differently. You shouldn't get. You should be accepted the fact that you being swept on that position. Uh, somebody, for example, you going for somebody's trying to sweep you. They cut your leg, and. They're trying to do a technical lift, lifting your leg with you. Right. And then it's putting pressure on your knee. And then if you try to stand up from that, the knee gets torn. If right. you accept, <laughs> just sit down, it's fine. And yep. sometimes the fact you don't want to fall, you bend your knee further to don't fall and then your knee goes. Prah. Yep. And that is a compromise in your knee to don't fall into a position that was already wrong and you're already mistaken. <laughs> you shouldn't have accepted sweep or compromise so don't hurt
0: your knee there's a lot of lessons in resistance in jujitsu. it's one thing i've just stuck out a lot to me is uh you'll fight to try to to try to do the wrong thing to prevent something from happening when in reality there's two things that are probably happening one there's a solution in front of you that you're not seeing because you're so worried about doing this other thing or two you have an opportunity to use their momentum to change the position, but instead it's the resistance. And like, I can't tell you how many times that plays out in real life, right? You have (laughs) something's going on and you feel, you fight it and you fight it and they put all your energy and all your stress and all your worry and everything into it. And you could just accept it and redirect it. Just hundred percent step out of the way.
1: But that is a very critical thing on that one. And you gotta know what to do.
0: Facts. Yes, (laughs) it's true.
1: If you haven't got the knowledge of what are the options, yeah. you have got no option apart from survive, and to survive means stand up, fight the the obvious, and resist, yeah. and that is your ego saying, "I already messed up, but I'm not giving to you. I'm gonna stop you."
0: Yeah, I mean and the then, only time I've ever and sometimes you gotta
1: do it, and you have to do it to so don't let it happen. But
0: the most like but, injured I've gotten training or closest to it, it all comes from ego moments. It's I don't want to yeah. lose to you. That's what the feeling is. I'm not going to lose to you. In your head, I'm better than you are. I'm not going to let you have this, which is so silly. But it's, again, I never would have known that that was part of me had I not been you exposed to it exposed in a real-life life situation.
1: That's, like, but it's kind That's when, it, the, that's when it, collabor- it, it correlates to everything that we're living in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It's the microcosm of life because we're living intensively, intensely, this this situation and then you see all the ups and downs if you are a confident person you automatically going to use that and your yep. favor. and if you're not very confident you tend to quit on things early you put a little resistance gets difficult and then you quit and you give the position or um you work on half guard for about one week and you didn't get half guard yeah. and you never go back to half guard again <laughs> yeah right? And and this is kind of what tends to show that people tend to uh, focus on things when they don't really get it. They just move to the next thing and then they don't really get it. They move to the last thing and then they never become like excellent at that thing because they're constantly shifting.
0: How, how important is it to lose, to, to lose in training, to, to get beat?
1: Well, I think when you get beat in training, you are learning one, how to handle the loss and try to fight back. So you're learning resilience and yep. yes, you you're taking the loss and you're not happy and you have to overcome that by coming back again. So you learn resilience when you get beat and you, you build like a little bit of a, a thicker skin. Yeah, um, but but if you don't take advantage of the problem, fix the problem, you're not learning anything else but that. Yeah. So it's like, you've got to put into practice. you got to find out, okay, I made a mistake. I fell for this position and I got beat here. But you cannot, okay, you can be, can be beat in 10 different ways against the opponent, but you got beat today by passing the knee slice or the back step, turning to the puzzle, whatever it is. So you have to go and what is the critical moment here? How right. things were start to go bad for me. Is that the moment of the submission? Is that the moment of guard retention? Or maybe it's both. There was a moment in, in, after the guard was passed. There's a moment before the guard was still established. And it's the grip that you change wrong. You have to do the aftermath and you have to reverse engineering. How did you get here? If you don't actively search for the mistakes that you made the lad into the position, don't look at it only into one position. Look at the bigger picture and backtrack and learn from it, you're just going to be doing the same mistake again and again. Yeah. And so that means if you're making the same mistake again and again, and that's no benefit The learn, uh, losing matches are only benefit and losing training when you turn into a, into a positive one. And then otherwise you're just learning to, to Learning lose. to lose
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> man. There's so many the parallels in life are, are insane. How many there are and how much these lessons transpire into your day to day, I think a lot about I mean, longevity is a a really interesting thing, and I I think about it all the time in jujitsu. I know that my youth, my athleticism, my strength, all those things are present now. They won't be there when I'm 60. You know, they won't. I know that. And it's very easy to go through life thinking that your current state will just be eternal, that you'll always be the way that you are. But jujitsu teaches you that you have to adjust your game as you age. And that, that's, a, that's like a loaded statement because you're only 38, right? I, mean, I say that like you're a 90-year-old, but it, you're not. But you're being smart about it and you're thinking about your longevity. And so in a world where people don't think about death, they don't think about age, they don't think about getting older and how their life is going to change, this art form shows it to you every single day every single day because there'll be a day where Victor Estima cannot compete with a 24 year old sheerly by, by age and physicality, it's guaranteed to happen. That day will come and wrapping your head around that and being okay with that. And then doing everything you can to enjoy the process between now and then, and that journey part of it. I don't know. That's, one of the most valuable lessons that you can get in life is to appreciate the part that you're in, knowing that it's destined to change. And jujitsu it so starkly shows that constantly. It How
1: about this? You just accept, you just have to accept yeah. that you're not going to be the same. And then you just need to accept is the natural course of life that you're going to fall behind a bit. But you're not defined by your ability to beat someone up. You are defined by your ability to contribute. Yes. And that's where, when you shift the bar where your moral standards are, when you just invert the values a little bit, correct them maybe, just correct the values to a more longer-term mindset, I think those things really help. Because if you... If your only sense of value is your ability to beat someone, or if you lead your team with your ability to beat someone and the, all the respect you get is only as far as you can do that. And then the next lion comes in and they can do it to you. Where is your respect? Yeah. Right. And this is one of the things that I, I've learned from Marcia Carlos Gracie Jr. Uh, he basically said, we were in a culture where. Lions, uh, he he compared to lions with Jiu Jitsu. So when you are the strong lion and young and you're fresh, the lion eat all the food. He gets attention to all the the female lioness, all the lioness, and you are the alpha and you are the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then until the younger lion comes in and prove themselves to you, or basically beat you and overtake that position. And now the older lion goes into its, you know, crumbs, and yeah. and there's no more uh, lionesses, and just gets alone and excluded. And then it's the time of the reign of the young cubs, the young lions that are strong. And basically, that's, if you think about jujitsu, it is the, the 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 athlete that is a teacher who beats everybody training. And still the students learn and get good and start giving yep. challenge to the teacher. And if the lion, the student that becomes the new professor, he comes over and he loses the respect for the professor, or he thinks he's the alpha now and just takes away the, you know, the, the, the opportunities from the other professor. And then you're basically creating the next generation that will do the same and the same and the same. The best way would be for us to all help each other eat for as long as possible. Yeah, everybody's got shelter for as long as possible. He created this mentality in jujitsu that we can all help each other. And inside the jujitsu, um, teachers going to open new schools and expanding the development of jujitsu, he speaks very loud in the past. A student comes in there's no opportunity for that student that became professor he goes open a school next to the professor and then right. he upsets the professor the professor gets angry because it's and then it goes into a nice master cycles of people leaving each other and then when he created this network of greasy bar doesn't matter who you are you can go develop your school and develop yourself with inside the team and the professor supports it, supports the students they help them grow and it keeps giving back to the community in a very positive way where everybody is enough food for everyone. Let's share this. Let's do it for the greater good. And that's kind of a the nice mentality to correlate with the, the younger yeah. generation coming in and, and value for your ability to contribute and not for your ability to beat them.
0: I feel like it's, I, I don't have, uh, children yet, but I'm excited to have them and, uh. I could only imagine it's got to be similar to having to having a child, right? Your values shift. Now it's your job to you go for, you know go from being young and wild and crazy, and you're only worrying about yourself, to now there's someone to be an example for, to to teach, to demonstrate values and morals, and all of that shifts. And then your role actually becomes so much greater in the long run, right? You get to be a A father who's remembered by your children you get to be a mother who's remembered by your children as an example as someone that to aspire to be like and we all have that ability to become that we have to choose to be that way some people don't unfortunately choose that and that's a sad in and of itself but uh that opportunity is there what are you going to do with your black belt you know exactly how will you bring it back well victor we've we've cruised through I mean as expected I always go faster than than I thought. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and chat and share your wisdom and your philosophy on this incredible art form. Um, we'll definitely have to do this again in the future
1: it's been a pleasure thank you Aby, for the conversation i never even i didn't even notice the time uh, going <laughs> by I enjoyed every 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 question and and i it really connects to you know to to, to what is my purpose, right? If that is an opportunity for us to inspire uh, a life that listened to this and they got motivated to do jujitsu, or they 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 had some uh, light bulbs, some clicks that they could relate to and make positive changes in their lives, that's uh, it's already made it worthwhile being here and 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 spend this this moment uh, with you and and appreciate the invitation. Uh, I hope. That we get to see each other again. And maybe we meet in person one day.
0: Yes, get some rolls in. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much.